Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Alrighty, so how was Cinco de Mayo and May the 4th uh, from quarantine? Did you guys enjoy it? Did you have Taco Tuesday and some tequila? I, I didn't have tequila. I did have Taco Tuesday, though. Uh, so that was a plus. And hey, you gotta get some enjoyment when you're in quarantine, and that's why you're here on The Brian Nichols Show. Yes, I'm your humble host, Brian Nichols, and you are, of course, in store for another phenomenal episode as we are, yes, having another phenomenal guest joining us here on The Brian Nichols Show, and this is a familiar guest, um, and that is Dr. Eric Larson. Now, Dr. Larson has been on the show, and actually, it's funny, he's on the show once again to discuss the same exact person, and that is one Justin Amash. Now, before we get there, uh, Dr. Larson, for you guys, um, just kind of to recap, he um, he has a couple of his own shows. The first being the Paradox uh, podcast, which is actually a podcast that he was on the show um, and discussed last time, um, which obviously takes a look at uh, the uh, the life of a doctor um, from a more libertarian perspective, but a new podcast, and that is The Amash Files with a good friend, Tyler Grodendahl. Uh, so with that being said, uh, Dr. Larson joins us again on The Brian Nichols Show to really dig into the age-old question, and that is, who is this newcomer that has entered the race? And that is one Justin Amash congressman from Michigan and now first ever sitting libertarian congressman. Yes, Justin Amash. So uh, Eric Larson is good personal friends with uh, Justin Amash. So it's a great chance for you as the uh, the listener, but also as someone maybe looking at Justin Amash as a, a candidate to vote for, uh, to really get to know who he is and maybe a little bit more of his uh, libertarian uh, views, uh, you know, what he has expressed publicly, maybe what he has not expressed publicly, and kind of gives you a better, uh, better look into who he is, not only um, from the libertarian perspective, but also uh, his perspective for growing the movement. So without further ado, on to the show, Eric Larson here on the Brian Nichols show. Hey, Brian, thanks so much for having me on. Absolutely. Dr. Larson, you have been very busy and I say busy, busy, busy because you have not only been working as a doctor um, as your full-time job, but now you're moonlighting as a podcaster um, with, of all the people, uh, Congressman Justin Amash recently uh, turned libertarian congressman and now a uh, candidate for president of the United States. And you're you're hosting a podcast with my good friend, Tyler Grodendahl, uh, the Amash, Amash Files. Um, so you've been busy on your end. So let's kind of take a time out from the last time you were here in the Brian Nichols show when we actually were, I think, hinting at the idea of a Justin Amash candidacy for president. And let's yeah. kind of um, fill in the gaps. How How's life been since we last spoke to you? What's been going on? And how did you end up where you are right now um, being basically one of the, the main uh, voices for the Amash campaign? Well, the uh, to be a main voice for the Amash campaign was a complete accident. Uh, that's certainly not my intention. I'm not in no way affiliated with the campaign, and I I have people contact me all the time actually asking me how to volunteer. I'm like I have no idea. I can tell you the, <laughs> what emails to contact. I I'm just uh, friends with Justin and um, and Tyler is a former campaign staffer, and so we thought we could provide. You know, we wanted to help him out, so we thought we could provide some sort of insight and a better way of rounding out who he is, because it's oftentimes hard to know. Who, what these people are really like who are running for office. Uh, you just see them in, you know, in his case, you see them in the media, like on State of the Union or something, right. or you read about them in the Hill or Politico. And, you know, it's always an anonymous source or staffer from some other office. And I think they're oftentimes um, 
not as generous as they as they should be in describing because there are also political agendas. I mean, obviously, I have an agenda. I want to help support him, but I just want to find some way of of just again just helping people have a better understanding of who he is, what he's for, and then I think just give people the insight and the insiders look into his life and you know maybe his background that you're just not going to get anywhere else. And so I, I thought it'd just be kind of fun. And so I already have my own podcast, The Paradox, where I talk about medicine. So it's just totally different. It's um, it's actually in some ways a little bit more fun. And uh, it's been a tremendous response, And but it's been it's been busy. <laughs> <laughs> busy to say the least, I was going to say. So um, now, obviously, the last time you were on the show, uh, we, we discussed more about uh, you being in the medical field and discussing kind of some of the, the regulations that are in your way um, as, as, as a doctor. And now, obviously, we're recording in a COVID-19 world. And I, I've had, you know, Dr. Kyle Varner on the show to discuss, you know, some of the regulations that um, him as a, a, a doctor, I think he said specifically in the in the hospitals, in the ERs, um, you know, that prohibit him from being able to, to really do his job and treat COVID patients like you'd like. Um, and, and you were more obviously in the, um, you know, the uh, term, I forget the term. It's I mean, like the, elective, OR, the OR suite, you know, the elective operating elective, room. I mean, you. I'm an anesthesiologist. Yes, but yeah. that's mm-hmm. right, the elective procedures. Um, and, and so I'm wondering, how has life been for you uh, being a doctor right now uh, in, in this COVID-19 world where a lot of these elective procedures have been, you know, suspended or, or canceled altogether? Well, I think it's interesting because so my wife is a pediatrician, so she's a primary care and, and we and I get sort of different perspectives on what's going on with the coronavirus. The one fortunate thing for anesthesia is that we are one of the giant money makers in the hospital. So there's every incentive for a hospital to make sure that we're up and running. Other parts of medicine are not that way. And so you'll hear stories about furloughs, people being you know laid off. And it's generally not in the areas of the surgical suites uh, outside of administrative positions they're trying to kind of peel away. Um, but so for us, it, I mean, the coronavirus was pretty terrible. Uh other practices actually had to close. For us, it, we were down about 70, 75 percent in hmm. in surgery wow. because most surgery is elective, and and elective is a is a term that people associate with like getting your nose done or something like that or cosmetic surgery. But elective means that you don't have to have the surgery within twenty four hours, so it's not like a it puts you at risk of losing life or limb. And if that's the case, then there are all sorts of different shades of electiveness, right? So if you have a big tumor in, let's say, your colon. Well, you need to get that out, but it's not like it has to come out today. It could be could come out a week or two weeks, but it is still elective in some level. And so you just have been delaying these things because we we use the same personal protective equipment, gowns, masks, you know, gloves, that they need for treating people who are of infectious diseases. And so if there's a limitation in that equipment, then you want to make sure you preserve it and don't do things that you don't have to do. And so that's for a while our hospital and pretty much every hospital was – holding off and doing all these surgeries in order to preserve all their equipment and make sure they had enough supplies. Now we are beyond sort of the, the problem and we certainly have no problem with capacity in the hospitals because not only are we not having the, uh, the people recovering from surgery in the hospitals, but people in general are just not coming to the hospital when they are sick and actually do need to come partly because of the media hysteria, I think. Um, and so we now have really empty hospitals and that just provides a lot of problems with, for the for the hospital administration from a revenue standpoint. Uh, and then, you know, even looking at someone like my wife who's a pediatrician, she's been affected because of a couple of things. One is kids aren't with other kids. So guess what happens to kids who are not with other kids? They don't get sick. And so, so they're not having as many visits for families coming. Secondly, people are terrified of coming to the hospital or, or a clinic. Uh, you know, maybe rightly so that they don't want to be around sick people if it's not that important to come. And so they will not come. 
Now, kids actually do just fine with coronavirus almost always. And so it's not really that much of a threat. But people just see the stuff in the media and they get a little worried about it. Uh, and then also, if you have a well child check, which is a lot of their um, revenue too, people just say, well, I'm just not going to do the well child check, you know, the nine year check, the two year check or whatever. I'll delay it till later this year or maybe skip it this year. And so then some kids miss vaccinations and some other things too. And so uh, that all that being said is their, their volume and amount of people coming to the clinic is significantly reduced. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't go for the other specialists who exist like a dermatologist. They just closed up. They're just not even open. And, um, and they're actually, I think by order of the governor, they're not allowed to be open as a, as are my, um, my plastic surgery friends aren't allowed to be open either. And so that's a lot of jobs and revenue. I mean, there are a lot of, I get not that I ever expect anyone to shed a tear for a doctor, <laughs> you know, not, not making <laughs> as much money, but you have, you have practices closing, you have some going out of business. Uh, you have certainly people who work for them who just aren't, you know, earning a paycheck and, and, uh, you know, that is one of many problems in the economy with the, the COVID to say the least, and we're seeing right now, obviously, there's there's a very big void uh, that's that's not being filled, and that is people looking for someone to kind of you know lead the way forward out of this post you know COVID nineteen world, whenever that might be. And right now, you know, we're looking. We have our current president and Donald Trump, and and I would say the response from Trump has been you know tepid at best. Um, you know, he 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 has done some <laughs> things right and he's done a lot of things wrong, I would say, um, from his administrative standpoint, especially when you look at the you know the three letter agencies that we have that are underneath the um the administrative branch, um, that technically are under his control, right? Um and they they you know just failed across the board. Um and a lot of it is because of these these regulatory uh, agencies that have been put in place, um, you know, to, to really just incentivize status quo. Um and then on the left you have really I guess Joe Biden is is he a candidate? I mean, he kind of seems like a, a puppet. At this I'm point. not sure what he's doing. I I don't I don't know if he does either. <laughs> to be quite honest, Eric, because I mean, the more you see of Joe Biden, yeah. the more obvious it is why they're trying to keep him behind closed doors. Because it, it's it's getting more and more apparent to me that the lights aren't on all the way. You know, he, the the elevator's not hitting the top floor. And I, I'm not trying to say that to be disparaging. It's just it's obvious that there's not something right with Joe. And I think it's it's kind of sad, actually, to see him being forced to the forefront, um, basically saying, like, Joe, you need to be the nominee. Like, you 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 have to do this to go against Trump. Like, you're our only hope. And, like, he's an 80-year-old grandpa, basically. Like, I look at him and I just see yeah. an old man who, who who deserves, honestly, to just kind of go, just take a take a break. Like, he's been been doing this his entire life. Like, it's time to go, go just relax. But, no, he's being pushed into, quite literally, um, a role that is, what, the hardest position to, to be in, in the world, um, in terms of your stress and, and your, and on your health and such. So, I mean, there's no way that he's going to be able to run for a second term. Is there, I mean, he's going to be running when he's close to 90. So that leaves everybody saying, well, what's the alternative? And, and just recently, obviously, as we were discussing, Justin Amash has, has announced, um, our dear friend Justin, um, has announced he, he's a five term, uh, congressman from Michigan. Um, you know, just, a, a spry, forty years old, <laughs> making him um, oh, well, well younger uh, when you compared to the other two uh, presidential candidates. I think I was listening to the uh, the recent interview with uh, Nick Gillespie, and he was saying that if you look at the other yeah. two candidates together, it's like one hundred and forty years versus Justin, and it's you know him at a tender forty. Um, so you know, Justin, I think, does enter the race now uh, with a really great chance to be that different candidate. So let's kind of start from there. 
what do you think led to Justin saying, yes, now is the time, you know, we're in this COVID-19 pandemic, there is a, a void of leadership from the top, and this is the, the time for not only um, a libertarian president, but I should be that person to take that role going forward. So I'll begin, and I may have recalled the story before too, but it, briefly, when I first met Justin, it was before he ran for state house representatives in the primary, uh, GOP primary in House District 72, back in West Michigan. And we talked for a while, and you know, he's super libertarian. I mean, pretty hardcore, far more than you actually he'll, you'll hear from him publicly. Uh, but then he would talk about the, his, the reason he was running and what was most important to him was to try and get a, a good stage for liberty and the message to promote it and to try and, you know, the Austrian economics and to try and push that through into the public discourse. And so that has always been his intention. Uh, he's an attorney. He's, he has a family business. He could certainly return to it any time if he wanted. Uh, so he's has no, I guess, ties exactly specifically to the job itself. Right. And so when he decided to run for Congress two years later, it was a better platform to push his message. And, and at that time, so I doubted him in his state house run because I thought, well, this guy is actually libertarian. There's no way he can win. He won. And then he decided he's going to run for Congress. I tried to talk him out. I said, there's no, you know, there's a guy who's been sitting for like 16 years or something like that. You'll never beat him. Two days later, that guy dropped out. <laughs> so then Justin <laughs> won the primary against two establishment candidates, beat them both easily. Uh, 2014, they tried to remove him. They moved and he beat them easily or he beat the guy easily, even though he'd had about every single establishment sort of, you know, pack behind him. And then when he, he was talking to me before, he, uh, like 2018 maybe or 19, I, I can't remember exactly when, but I mean, we've been talking a while about how the GOP is certainly once Trump came in was just no longer a place that was very hospitable to people with libertarian views. The anti-war message had sort of been drowned out. Uh, the spending, certainly the spending restraint was gone and there wasn't, it was just a shell of what maybe it had hopes that he had hoped that he could reform it. And he's sort of like, I just, there doesn't seem to be a point to this party process, which he never was a fan of anyway. And then he, course announces independence on july 4th of last year and it was just sort of a matter of time before he he thought that there would be an opportunity to depending on the candidates that he could maybe make a real impact on grabbing a beggar stage and that's that's really why he's running now i i mean i think he certainly wants to be present in order to reform the process and to force the legislature to be legislative and not to abdicate all their powers and uh and i think he sees right now there's a there's probably not going to be a better opportunity, right? Like you said, there's the two cans are almost 150 years old combined. There, you can't imagine many people in your life who are in their mid to late 70s who think, "Oh yeah, this appears to be great to lead the free world." I, I don't know anyone who would actually think that. And and even if you ask people who are in their mid to late 70s, I, I I'd be surprised you find anyone who thought they could do the job either. So it's <laughs> it's kind of stunning that, you know, that the, these guys think they could do it. And, and I think you know the, the other things that Justin brings, he's he's very savvy. Um, he's super smart. He knows libertarianism, obviously, inside out. And he's ethnic. He's a first-generation immigrant. I mean, he's a lot of things that really differentiate him from those candidates. So you you said it right there. He is a libertarian. And it's funny because uh, we're recording here on May the 4th, be with you. Um, but uh, last night, I yes. was on a, uh, a podcast for, uh, it was the big channel, We Are Libertarians. And it was a debate between myself and libertarian uh, presidential candidate Brian Ellison. Um, and the, the question, uh, the, the, the statement was, um, would Justin Amash be 
a great Libertarian Party candidate. And I was arguing in the affirmative, um, whereas Mr. Ellison was arguing in the uh, the negative. And and one of the arguments that that Mr. Ellison was making was specifically that um, Justin isn't a libertarian. That Justin is a conservative. He is nothing but a conservative. Um, you know, in in these libertarian uh, you know sheep clothes. Um, and he's trying to come into the infiltrate the party and make it a Republican light party. Um, and and you know to kick all the uh, the the libertarians out. Now Brian Ellison is more from the the left libertarians, which is fine. Um, but he you know he definitely has a look at conservative ish, if you will, libertarians. Um, or shall we say people who are more of the uh, I want to say like the the Ron Paul school, but I mean, really, it comes down to like the Ron Paul school of things. Um, you know, doesn't look at them as necessarily allies to liberty, which that's their prerogative. But you know, with that being said, this this argument that Justin isn't a libertarian, and I, I you know, think it'd be great to hear you know, just because you've obviously spoken to Justin and you've heard the real Justin, how, is is it fair to say that Justin's not a real libertarian? Well, I don't think that's fair. I mean, I always a question is a libertarian. I mean, within. If there's one thing you can be confident of when you're talking to another libertarian is that they're convinced that you're not one. <laughs> so it's so true, uh, though. Uh, and so you know, I it's it's sort of like what's a Republican, what's a Democrat. Well, you you kind of know when you see it. You know, that's the rhinos. And I think, without a doubt, he's libertarian. I mean, the guy has read Bastiat. He's a he's a proponent of free market economics, Austrian economics. He's he's read uh, Mises and Rothbard and Hayek and. He's well versed in these things, and so he he can um, he can move within the different orbits. And I think this is a, a another positive for Justin that he can move within the I guess you call them Beltway libertarians, like the Reason crowd, more the I don't know if they're left libertarian, but <laughs> and then then more with like the Mises crowd, which is more like the right libertarian. I think he's comfortable on both sides because he's very comfortable with Ron Paul. They had you know debates and discussions all the time on legislation uh, when he served a term with with Ron before Ron retired. And then uh, he's, you know, obviously very comfortable with the Cato and the the Reason crowd as well. And so I think, you know, that's a that's a testament to his libertarianism. I mean, it's hard to imagine any conservative who'd be able to span comfortably those two sides. I mean, if you look at his positions, he's staunchly anti-war. He's pro Second Amendment, uh, First Amendment, civil liberties. He's tried to he almost took down the surveillance state in by, by just a couple of votes back in I don't know, like two thousand thirteen or fourteen yeah, with that's the right. yep. uh, NSA. Uh, he was instrumental, and people forget this, but we knew it here because we're in West Michigan. But I think he was instrumental when Obama first was proposing the war in Syria. Uh, you might recall there was then suddenly these sort of town halls sprung up all over the country. Well, the town halls began here in Grand Rapids. Justin went back, and so Justin's approach to to war is actually very interesting. It's not that well; it is that he's not in favor of much war. But he said he's always said if. As a representative, that's one of the few things that I think if the people truly want the war and they, you know, absolutely, then he felt he was obligated to support it. Uh, so he came back to Grand Rapids and he's like, all right, if Obama's floating this idea of a war, it's, you know, all the media and, you know, how they're all getting all juiced up and excited about it. He started hosting town halls and he'd have five, 600 people there to talk about the war. And maybe two people would raise their hand in support of the war. <laughs> and so he immediately got a got momentum going. And then CBS News is here like, the second one he held because they heard sort of the results. And I think they were surprised because, you know, people in DC assume everybody else wants what they want. And it was overwhelmingly anti-war. And then he convinced a couple of his other Republican colleagues to start hosting town halls, which were again, universally against it. And then it just, it basically fizzled out that Obama lost any sort of support he would have had from a bipartisan standpoint to pull off a war. Now, I think we can look back and say, well, it helped that 
that the other Republicans who were opposed to him, you know, they're totally fine with you know Trump having a war. <laughs> but Justin was against that war. He's he's been speaking out publicly many. I mean, the whole time that Trump's been in office again for his conflict. So I mean, I, it's hard for me to say he's not libertarian anyway. I mean, he's he's the best spending voting record of anyone in Congress. I I don't know why. I don't know how you'd say he's not a libertarian. Maybe he's not an anarchist. He's more of probably a minarchist, but. I mean, we're just arguing about varying degrees of libertarianism at this point, I think. Which which pretty much is the Libertarian Party, you know, since nine, like, what, 1976 or whatever, when it became a party. So, I mean, like, that's pretty much what we've been doing yes. as a party forever. Um, so, I mean, I, Justin's going to be entering into that discussion that, that is not going to change too much, honestly. It's, you know, who's more libertarian, who's not, you know, who's not a libertarian. And, and unfortunately, I think, you know, that's that's something that Justin is now going to have to you know, deal with as he goes actually into the, the nomination process. Because there are other candidates who have been running for, you know, quite a while, and I've actually Actually had quite a few of them on my show, from Jacob Hornberger to Joe Jorgensen, uh, Serene Ardelianu, um, you know, Dan Taxationist, Steph Berman, uh, Adam Kokesh, and, and obviously Justin in the past as well. Um, so you know, there's a lot of other libertarian candidates that are out there. So um, a lot of people are saying, well, why didn't Justin jump in earlier when other candidates? Um, had already jumped in and had been, you know, going through doing the conventions, going to the, you know, going to these d- different uh, libertarian debates. I mean, heck, even you know, former uh, R- Rhode Island Republican slash Democrat Governor Lincoln Chafee, um, in his brief time he was in the party, you know, he he d- he went to a couple of debates. So why was it that Justin waited until you know just it was you know, a month before a convention? And, and I asked that because that was also one of the things that was raised up last night. So uh, Eric, what's kind of um your your take there? Well, that's a great question, and. And the, the reason is simple. He wants to be president. And I, I mean, everyone who's running for president of the Libertarian Party for the nomination would love to be president. But none of them have any intention, honestly, of winning. Uh, Justin, like I said, he's won every single time when I thought he can't. And he's won, and, and he's won pretty handily most of the times. So the reason he waited is because he had to wait for the right moment. Because if he's looking for, to winning two things. One is he wants to win the Libertarian nomination to represent libertarians, help grow the party and those sorts of things, help down ticket candidates. But also he wants to win, actually win the race. And you have to time that perfectly if you're a third party candidate. I mean, the chances of a third party winning the, the race are incredibly small. They're not zero, but they're very, very small. I mean, it's been, it hasn't been since 1848, I think, when, <laughs> when the Whigs were there, when it's not a Republican or Democrat, that it's been in the White House. Uh, it doesn't mean it's impossible, right? Everything's impossible until it happens and then it was inevitable. And that's sort of how we look at Donald Trump now, because he was a guy who was, I mean, a gadfly by every right, every reason. And yet he ended up somehow winning the nomination and then the presidency. Uh, it's easier as a Republican, obviously, than as a libertarian. So if you want to be successful as a libertarian, you have to find the exact right moment. You want to give yourself enough time. And that is something that he has been hamstrung by, mainly because of the news cycle. I mean, you had impeachment going on through the beginning of this year, and then pretty much soon after that, Right when things were kind of calming down about the whole impeachment thing, suddenly you have the discussion about this pandemic and there's no oxygen in the room if you're going to try and announce. And if you're announcing in order to win the LP nomination, well, sure, he could have announced a while ago and probably won the nomination. But he would have lost any sort of chance of having momentum getting national ID on the you know State of the Union talk shows, all these sorts of things that he's getting right now had he announced earlier. I Without, without a doubt, he would have announced earlier had he been able to. But things were just happening. And so if you want to maximize your chances in November, you have to pick the right time to enter. And so he realizes that it's going to be harder to get the nomination because he hasn't been in front of delegates for as long. He's known to many of them. They at least know of him. But he's got to prove himself to them that he's libertarian enough and that he's going to stick with the party. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's 
that's just the that's just the timing of the situation. I mean, politics is very much about timing. It's like you know, real estate is all about location, right? T- politics is very much about timing. Justin came in in 2010. That, yeah. that Tea Party wave seemed to help him a ton, and so I, you know, I that is the main thing. But the difference is he truly believes he can win. Now, other people may not believe that, but that's why he's entering now and why he's running the way the way he is, not focusing entirely on the nomination, but you know, recognizing that he's got to win those delegates, right. but also trying to focus that if he wins the nomination. He can be successful in November. Well, so I know for a fact that a lot of delegates do listen to this show. And I think if you know, there are delegates out there who want to see the Libertarian Party actually have a candidate who wants to win, that it is reassuring that Justin is that candidate. And, and you know, again, going back to the debate I was in last night, you know, Brian Ellison, he running for, for office basically said that that's not the role of the Libertarian Party nor of the Libertarian right. Party candidate. And I think right there, you know, I, th- I think that speaks to to the delegates, okay, what, well, what delegates, what do you want to see as the, the role of the Libertarian Party candidate? Do you want to see somebody who is actually going to go out of their way to, to, to battle really for us? Um, and, and is in it for the long haul? I mean, Justin had nothing politically to gain from going from, you know, a, a sitting Republican, five term Republican congressman to now being a Libertarian Party presidential candidate. Like, that's not, a step up in many considerations. So, you know, for him to do this, that, that shows that he is committed uh, and that, you know, it really is an opportunity for, for real, really libertarians across the world, uh, well, across the world, across the United States, at least let's, let's start small. Um, but, you know, <laughs> but uh, to, to have a real election uh, electoral shot. And I mean, yes, it is. It is a very, very long shot, but you know, if, if you're just going to have candidates who are running half-assed educational campaigns every every time, you know, then then you're not going to have any success. And that's not directed to any candidate in particular. It's just it's, it's just a fact. You know, if, if if you're teaching and explaining, you're losing. And if you're losing, then nobody's really paying attention to you. And if nobody's paying attention to you, then how are we advancing liberty? And that's just the reality. If and if everybody's on the the same you know team as I am, and our goal as a team is to advance liberty, then we need to have candidates who are, are going out of their way to to make sure that they are focused on winning. Um, and you know there are a few candidates right now who have focused on winning that I you know I would I was actually very supportive of, and I still am supportive of. You know, folks like Jacob Hornberger. You know, I've had Jacob Hornberger on the show and he's able to articulate libertarian ideas articulately. Um, and he, he definitely has, you know, the passion that we need for liberty. You know, I, I was, a I, I was, and am a big fan of, of Jacob. Um, somebody like Joe Jorgensen who had the show, you know, she you know, was a former vice presidential candidate for the libertarian party. Um, very articulate, you know, she's a professor. She, she knows what she's talking about. She's, um, she's, she's got the, the credibility behind it to back it up. Um, you know, she would be a great uh, face to the party. But when I look at somebody like Justin, I think the the benefit of a Justin Amash is that when you look at the American electorate, they do want to see a resume. And and the sad reality is, is that the only resume that they seem to really take into any consideration in American politics when you're seeking the the role of president is, yes, to have some type of, of electoral, you know, whether it's success or just some type of governance, right? Like they want to see somebody have that that resume there that they can back it up and say, okay, you know, when when you know, the, the blank hits the fan, it's, you know, it's, it's go time. We need somebody who can actually step in and knows what they're doing. And, and, you know, the sad reality is if they look at somebody like, uh, you know, uh, you know, like a Cato scholar or a heritage scholar, and they're not going to take them seriously. They're not going to take somebody, you know, seriously, um, from, you know, the libertarian party who, who doesn't have the, the quote unquote resume behind it. And that's just a sad reality that we have to face as a party, um, until we have somebody lead the party that does have that next to their name. And, and, and ultimately that's why I think we've had candidates like Gary Johnson 
and Bill Weld in the past because they do have that resume, right? Um, but now we have somebody like Justin, as you speak to, who not only does he have the resume, now he also has the principles. And that really was the argument I was making last night, was that Justin is not going to be the candidate when he's asked, what does it mean to be a libertarian, to say it means to be fiscally conservative and socially liberal. Like, he's gonna, he's actually going to give the libertarian answer. And I think that's something that libertarians across the board can at least, you know, have a, a, a you know, a breath of sigh of relief knowing that, that if we were to have somebody like a Justin as the candidate, then not only would we not be embarrassed, but I think we would be very well represented on a national stage and much like Ron Paul would actually help educate people um, just from being that face on what it means to be a libertarian, why liberty is important and why, you know, yes, a libertarian candidate would, would help ultimately solve a lot of the problems that we're currently experiencing and that have been exacerbated by COVID-19. Yeah, well, no question. I mean, the 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 possibility of him coming into the debate and offering fresh ideas and to have a legitimacy right out right out of the gate is is super important. I mean, that that's just the reality of the situation. Whether you like it or not, the Libertarian Party has struggled, and that's why they've they've gone for the people who have you know given them some visibility. It has come to help with ballot access, but at some point, the ballot access you got to use it for something. And so, um, I. You know, we're comparing him to the past – well, past two, I guess, since there have only been two Republicans. But Bob Barr had maybe a couple libertarian positions. Uh, you had Gary Johnson who I think had really good libertarian instincts and governed that way. But but now you have someone who actually has you know a track record, a voting record. Right. has actually accomplished things I think in Congress and can articulate the philosophy and understands it and he's you know, a dynamic – and a person who has – consistently shown that he's able to win. I, you know, those are things that don't come along around that often. And to people who say that he's leaving his congressional seat because he was going to lose, well, for one thing, he didn't have to announce that his independence last July 4th. He could have stayed a Republican and honestly been in the seat forever. I mean, there's nothing, there's no one who's ever going to beat him. And there was, there, even when he was running against, uh, when you say, when he announced, when he voted against Trump for impeachment, uh, there were a couple of Republicans announced, they had no chance. I mean, it, there were, there was uh, the polling was not in anyone's favor except Justin's. He went independent. That made it harder for him. His polling numbers were better. He outraised in the fourth quarter last year. He outraised everybody combined, Republicans and Democrats combined. So it's not like he was in a weak position. He left this because he thinks this is the right move for for liberty and for the party. I, you know, whether he sticks around the party for ten years, I can say that he said he's going to, but you know, I can't I can't guarantee anything. Uh, but his intention is to, to grow this because he's got no other politically he's got no other sort of avenues he's sort of shot his wad so to speak and so he's all in i mean you know whether the, the delegates want him or not that's the next question he's got to convince him that he's worth it well that's the uh, the next step so fingers crossed as we go forward the next month or so that justin makes that argument and the delegates hear him loud and clear and i know the delegates that are listening to this show are at least getting a different perspective that they otherwise are probably not hearing so thank you for that dr eric larson so with that being said some final words I, obviously you're busy um with uh, your your podcast the amash files but also the other podcast the paradox um so maybe you can go ahead and give some folks uh, some ideas where they can go ahead and find those great shows but also where they can go ahead and follow you on social media so uh, you can find the Amash Files at any podcast player now. It's Amash Files. Uh, on social media, it's at, at Amash Files. And I, I want to say specify that the the show is really looking at, I mean, obviously Justin Amash, but we get some stuff that you don't find anywhere else. We find people who, who work for him. What's it like to work in his office? What is he like as a boss? 
uh, I have, I think I'm gonna have someone coming up who was his teacher. So I'm really hoping to get that in high school. <laughs> uh, and so you're going to, you're going to find, I think some really cool stories. We had someone who interviewed with him. What's it like to get an interview for his, his office? How is it office run differently than other offices? Uh, and then the other show I have is the paradox and that's P A R A D O C S. So it's supposed to be two docs. And so generally I interview another physician about some aspect of medical care, obviously from a free market perspective, libertarian perspective, but it's not overtly libertarian. Uh, we talk about market solutions, people getting around regulations and how they deliver care the way they want to, to and, and the things that are impeding care from being delivered the way it should be delivered. And obviously recently we've been talking a lot about coronavirus. I've had some infectious disease docs. I've talked about sort of what the strategy should be. Anyway, I've got to come up with another one tomorrow and <laughs> I'm, I'm in Michigan. So I'm in like ground zero of uh, the draconian restrictions. And so we're talking about that and sort of the, the evolution of this coronavirus from flattening the curve to now preventing anyone from getting coronavirus and how that's the wrong strategy. But anyway, uh, that you can find it at Paradox Show or at website, theparadox.com. Uh, I'd love for people to come in, get involved, especially the Mosh Files. Just send emails. It's at it's amoshfiles at gmail.com. Show ideas, people to interview. Uh, it's been a ton of fun. So I'm just, I'm, I get thrilled. And I think probably you probably would agree the coolest thing about being a podcaster is the people you have access to talk to yes. who you never would have never so give you the time of day. You can talk to really cool people. It's like that was that was the unintended benefit of starting my own podcast. That I've got a podcast that's you know not that big. It's kind of niche, and I'm talking to people who are like thought leaders. <laughs> like, why are you talking yes. to me? But it's great. Yes, I made a point when I started my show that I wanted to make sure I was talking to people who were infinitely smarter than I am in their respective areas because that's that's how we learn, right? And and I wanted to make sure that when yeah. I had those awesome people on, I was able to like like a you know a, a just a normal person ask them questions because I think at the end of the day that's what people just want to hear. They want to hear the questions that they they've always wanted to ask but maybe were embarrassed to ask or didn't have the chance to really ask. So to have those thought leaders on or to have those experts on and to be able to ask them those questions i find it very rewarding but also like you said it is it, it's it's very cool to take a step back and just appreciate that the number of people that you get to speak to at, that honestly yes you you otherwise likely wouldn't have been able to otherwise yeah i mean and i would also just add meeting other podcasters even virtually has been really rewarding too I and mean, that's, yes. that's meeting some just great people and so i i always uh, say that it's better to do something and to not sit still because you, you're going to find whether it's an important door or not, but it's for part of your soul or for your just growth as a human being, just amazing things can happen. So don't sit still. Don't sit still. There there we go. That's going to be a nice spot to the end, end of the episode. With that, Dr. Eric Larson, thanks so much for joining the Brian Nichols Show. Thank you so much, Brian. Alrighty, folks, so that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of The Brian Nichols Show as we are joined once again by, yes, good friend, Dr. Eric Larson. Uh, so thank you to Dr. Larson for joining the show and hopefully you got to walk away from the show uh, feeling you got to know who uh, Congressman Justin Amash is, uh, both as a member of the uh, the Libertarian Party, uh, now going forward as an official member, um, representing us in uh, Congress, uh, at least for the foreseeable future, but also as our potential nominee uh, going towards the 2020 election. So some housekeeping going forward, folks, you have a ton, and I, I, seriously, a ton of episodes episodes uh, coming down the pike. I have an episode uh, with comedian Adam Nutter, which we're going to discuss, um, you know, stand-up comedy and, uh, you know, just being a, a comedian and a more of a libertarian comedian, but not 
not being a libertarian comedian. So we're going to dig into that a little bit. Um, you know, just dropped out candidate, uh, Mark Whitney, uh, libertarian candidate discussing uh, not only kind of his, his role in the race, but getting to know him more as a person. Uh, and that's a great conversation to get to know him. Um, but also some, some active candidates that are still, still currently running, uh, Keenum Dunnan, um, uh, which was actually a great conversation because I got to know about him more, but also we uh, had a great conversation about Julian Assange. Um, and then De- uh, Dan Taxation is Theft Berman. Uh, he's going to be uh, coming up here as well. Uh, so guys, tons of great guests coming up here on the Brian Nichols show. Um, and I'll make sure I air these over the next few weeks, uh, especially with the convention coming up. So you can make sure, uh, you, you know exactly who your candidates are that you are going to vote for. So, um, as we go forward, folks, you know where to find me over on social media, on Twitter and on Facebook at B Nichols Liberty. I also just signed up for a minds.com account. Um, and actually sneak peek for another episode that's going to be dropping here in the Brian Nichols show in the foreseeable future. And that is with minds.com CEO, Bill Ottman. Uh, so I just started up with my mind. So go over to minds.com and uh, find at B Nichols Liberty. And yes, I actually am verified. So that's the first, first social media platform that I've gotten verified on. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, minds.com. Um, so yes, I'll be coming out here in the next couple of weeks or so. So guys, with that being said, email me if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or any guests that you want to hear on the Brian Nichols Show. Email me, Brian, at briannicholsshow.com. Yes, it is that easy. Brian at briannicholsshow.com. Com. One more time for those in the back, Brian at BrianNicholsShow.com. But with that being said, guys, I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Dr. Eric Larson. So with that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here on the Brian Nichols Show for Dr. Eric Larson. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at BrianNicholsShow.com.